Hi, it's Matt Howie, and welcome to Hobby Horse. Today with us is Darius Kazemi. Hi! Yay! So, Darius, um, you are half of Field Train Co-op, right? And, That's right. Uh, author of a billion jokey bots. That's true. And now, lately, you've been doing some cool Mastodon stuff. Yep. Um, so, I guess let's go back in your history. Where did you get started? Um, you know, when did you like start falling in love with computers and and doing cool stuff what was the first thing um i mean i've been into making computers do stupid shit since i was like uh seven eight nine um was it like neopets or something (laughs) (laughs) neopets was i'm i'm too old for neopets Mm -hmm. uh that was that's about 10 years past (laughs) my prime but um uh no i grew up on uh i didn't have internet until i was in until i was 13 uh and uh I but I did have access to BBSs when I was in fourth grade, but only at my friend's house where he had a parent who would like let him do that. So and what did that guy go on to found? <laughs> <laughs> Nothing. He became Aww. he's he's. I mean, he just became a normal person. BBSs <laughs> were so cutting edge and nuts. Most people, you know. Yeah. No. He I just, was terrified of him for like long distance call charge. Right. I had an older brother who had like a girlfriend like one town over. And like would rack up four or five hundred dollar bills, right? Yeah. And I would see these pages of call this number and be like, "Well, it's my same area code, but I don't want to get busted like my brother." So I was terrified. Of yeah, that. yeah. In the DC area, we had the Fockies, which were compiled by Michael Focky, and that was his like text file of BBS numbers that were in the area. Oh, and cool. uh, and I'm pretty sure. I mean, I'm pretty sure no one. We never racked up any huge. <laughs> things uh because we as long as we stayed in our area code it was okay was bbs stuff back then mostly text files <laughs> was it like a um, a- it, ascii art yeah it was it, yes it was ascii art and text files and like the occasional i don't even know what image format um but oh, you know binary stuff but yeah it could you could download a binary of like a single jpeg or whatever uh or a bitmap or whatever they used and uh, uh and it would take a long long time did they have like emails or chat yeah there was chat and emails and that sort of thing too i mean you know bulletin board right so um but mostly we mostly we would connect to play um uh connect to the doors so we would play uh the various games and things so like trade wars or like uh, legend of the red dragon was my favorite but um but yeah uh but yeah before that um i mean i think i started um i mean i started like using computers and enjoying them when i was kid like very little like maybe five or six we were always lucky to have a computer in the house because my dad had a home business and Mm -hmm. so there was always like a reason to have a relatively up-to-date computer like ibm pcs yeah ibm pcs yeah he was an accountant not a uh you know wasn't he wasn't in tech but Mm -hmm. uh but you know it was enough that he needed like accounting software and stuff like that so dos machines yes yeah yeah i grew up on on ibm pcs with dos yeah (laughs) And, uh, and, you know, the Apple stuff at school, because that's what the schools had. But, um, uh, but yeah, and I think it was in, I think I was in fourth grade, so like nine when I first started, like my very first computer programming type stuff, which was just a friend of mine showing me like what his dad had taught him. We had a basic in fourth grade, and that mm-hmm. was probably like 1983 on yeah. whatever old Apple's. Yeah. Like. I mean, yeah, I mean, any, right. I mean, any Apple, if you booted it up without a disc, it would go straight to the basic prompt. So, yeah. yeah. So, uh, what was the first time you ever saw the web? 
Um, oh yeah, that was. Um, I remember it very clearly. Actually, I, it was 1997, and I was at the local mall. Um, oh, you know, okay, maybe I saw it once, like in school, where we had like one computer hooked up, and you could like you know look things up online or whatever. But but that didn't count. That was boring. Yeah. The cool web. Uh, I was 1997, and I went to a local mall, like at the fancy local mall, and there was a kiosk in the middle, like where they sell sunglasses and stuff. <laughs> there was a kiosk for a local ISP, and you could like use like a dollar a minute or something. Uh, no, no, no. It was they were selling the demo. ISP. It was a uh, demo. Yes, yeah. so they were selling their internet services, and so there was a demo kiosk. You could just go and play around. And I remember very distinctly like going up and being like oh yeah i've heard all about this uh like i used to stay on top of computer stuff by going to radio shack and using their mm -hmm. demo pcs uh just to just to play around that's how i learned to use windows and stuff so sweet yeah i <laughs> yeah i remember i remember the day the college um computer labs all got mosaic oh yeah and it was just Oh my god! And the time—the first time you're free form typing and going somewhere on the internet, you right. don't even know where you're going to end up. Right. Like, that was amazing. Yeah, I, I, uh, yeah, I sort of entered around the time, uh, at like the beginning of uh, Netscape's dominance. So That's right. I think it was Netscape two was my first web browser. <laughs> Frames, man. No, that was three. Uh, um, and it might have been three then. I, I definitely remember frames. And then what, when did you finish college? Like um, I graduated in two thousand five. Oh, so okay. uh, uh, so for me, early internet was middle school and high school. Um, and uh, and by high school, I ran my own like I had my own little like like website startup hustle type thing. <laughs> it's so. Like making brochure sites. No, no, no. It was um, we had a site where we would upload the shareware episodes of DOS video games, uh, which is legal, and we didn't charge money for them, but we ran banner ads. And back then, it was like you know, ten cents a click oh, or yeah, something. Yeah. So, uh, wow. so you know, we made like for high schoolers, we would pocket an extra like fifty bucks a month or something, and that was pretty significant for us. That's, so that's good fast food money. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'd go to Popeyes with that. So, what were your first jobs in the industry? Well, um, I went to school for electrical engineering uh, because actually a lot of the weird tech stuff that I started doing was in was with hardware. So I would build like circuits that would detect you were in the room and then use a voice synthesizer to talk to you and and say weird poetry at you and that sort of thing. Like looking back now, it's like very clear that like it, it's a there's a clear line I can draw to what I do today. That's the Internet of Art thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I did a and I did a lot of um. Uh, of like weird programs on like my TI eighty three graphing calculator too. Yeah. That was I did a lot of programming on that because uh, math class was boring. <laughs> but um, uh, but I uh, uh, so I went to school for electrical engineering. But while I was there, I got sidetracked by a game development club that we had there, and I got really into making video games. And I went to the game developers conference in San Jose, uh, and I was like, oh, this is cool. This is people doing art and tech. I want to do this and so then my first job out of college was as a qa tester for an mmo rpg company uh so in boston so is it true that like when you get a job in the game industry it it's so crushing and terrible and yeah it's pretty bad that like you don't like games after like if you're forced oh, yeah. to play a game oh yeah but you love playing games Get a job QA testing. Yeah, I've then heard, you won't like it anymore. <laughs> yeah. I was lucky because I got a job testing the kind of game that I hated to oh, begin cool. with. So it was just like, well, whatever. Now I'm getting paid to play this game that I hate, That's which like is actually yeah, it's actually an an improvement. Yeah. So That's rad. Yeah. And then uh when did you uh start um 
I guess you must have started on Twitter early, right? Uh, yeah, 2007, I yeah. think. So those like a a year after they started or what something. What was the very first like bot thing, or what sparked like I should build a bot for a Twitter? Um, I mean, I had made so like I made the occasional AOL Instant Messenger bot. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah, you know. Uh, so uh, and so that was for like once I found out that AOL you could like text a certain number from any phone and then append a username and then it would send an AOL IM to that username. So you could talk to bots over SMS that way. So before I had internet, uh, reliable internet on a phone, I made a bot that would like give me a Metacritic score for a video game if I, if I texted it the name of the game. Uh, So yeah. Um, but also, my first phone was web enabled. My first phone was a Treo six hundred. Actually, oh, cool. I didn't. I was late on the cell phone thing, but I was like, if I'm going to get on this, I got to get like the most future phone I possibly can. Uh, and I, I loved that phone. Tiny thumb. Keyboard? Yeah, it was so great. I loved it. it so I tiny. I still miss. I still miss little clicky keyboards like that. If I could find a a, a pixel with a clicky keyboard, <laughs> I would buy it. <laughs> um. But uh, but yeah, and then were you uh, using like Twilio? Was that around back then? Oh, absolutely not! <laughs> no, 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 no. This was built into AOL. So, I know, but what do you use for like mass texting? Like, what is there a service or an API to like send a bunch of? Texts? Oh, I, ju- I know. I just did it all through oh, you AOL. Just, you just physically, so, yeah. So yeah, like yeah. like any person who sent a message to that particular number and prepended it with the name of the bot, the bot mm-hmm. would talk back to oh, it. Okay, That's okay. all. Um, and, and I was just running that on my little web server that yeah. I had. Um, and then, um, so I never had to deal with SMS. I just used um, instant messenger like APIs. Mm-hmm. And then uh, uh, and then I made my first Twitter bot in 2009, but it wasn't really like the bots that I make now. It was just, um, I was really into the game Spelunky and mm-hmm. so and I was modding it a bunch and I was like, oh, I could mod it to post a story to Twitter of what I'm doing while I'm playing. So I wrote a bunch of hooks in the game to detect like if I killed a bat, then it had like a bunch of generative phrases about like with like jokes about killing bats and that kind of thing. And then it would post a stream to Twitter. So every time I played Spelunky, it would post a story that would roughly line up with what my play session was oh, nice. on to Twitter. So it's like a always updating change log but for your current status in the game yeah essentially yes and then uh but then and then i didn't make another bot until 2012 which was uh, when i made my first uh of my current crop uh which is metaphor a minute makes one metaphor every two minutes because back then it was that was the rate limit and uh (laughs) and i um uh and i made that actually as a response to uh ian bogost who's a um a video games uh theorist and also philosopher had a philosophy book where he was like we could why do we write essays when we could like make weird things that try to make a point instead and i was like oh that sounds really cool i know how to make bots i should do that and so my first bot was actually a bot that i wrote in response to his article about his chapter in his book about how you should build weird shit so (laughs) that is like the uh that is like the uh, the the guiding phrase for all your like text, <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. cut up, yeah, stuff. basically. So did you make that pile of like text APIs? Like the it seems like a lot of stuff, a lot of your stuff has like a core 
engine that's like pulling out nouns and verbs and yeah um for a long time i used wordnik which is mm. still around and it's uh just a it's a great rest api that's a, it's an online dictionary api you said essentially. It like a paragraph of text and it would send you stuff about it um no actually it's it i would use it more for like give me a random adjective okay. of like this level of rarity in the english language uh so i could ask for common adjectives mm. or uncommon adjectives and, and that sort of thing um and it could and it, of course it's a dictionary thing so it can return you definitions of words and parts of speech and stuff like that um later i switched to um to a, a library called Rita, which I like because it's totally offline. It just comes with its own sort of built-in dictionary, and so I don't have to like worry about APIs and rate limits and things like that. And it's not as good as WordNick, but it's good enough for most of what I build. But I'll switch to WordNick if I need a wider vocabulary. So no timeouts and stuff. Yeah, 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 exactly. So then, uh, uh, like, what would you? <laughs> how, I mean, are they all generative? All the things I've ever seen your name attached to. Like I mean, sometimes they're so good. <laughs> You're like, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. A human, are you putting your finger on the oh, scale? Oh, yeah. Ever? I mean, yeah, no, no, like I don't. It's like I have someone once described me as having like a totally white glove approach to yeah, yeah, to my bots. Like a lo- there are a lot of people who have great bots out there, and they do occasionally just also post something manual, mm-hmm. or they'll uh, or they'll curate. Um, uh, I like, feel like I've seen that. Like, yeah, someone does a bot. It says it's a bot, but like you only get eight good things a day instead of the 300 that suck. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so I actually have friends who have done a thing where they'll have like a queue that just piles up in their on us on an app somewhere and they're mm-hmm. just on their phone once a day like like checking yep. put it <laughs> checking a box next to the ones that they want to queue up for further posting to the public. Yeah. So that's a um, good system. Yeah. But, so like so how does like let's go with like one of the recent ones it was like roof slapping bot yeah. cracks me up. So I assume you're maybe plumbing Wikipedia for yeah, I'm, a phrase and then how do you grab was it number of syllables like what right so roof roof slapping bot is a play on a twitter joke and so it does things like slaps roof of africa this bad boy can uh can fit so many drafts in it um and that's it that's how it works uh and it's so what it needs is a concept of something being in being commonly found inside something else <laughs> um and uh, for that kind of thing, I always go to ConceptNet, which is a rather old internet project. Um, huh. uh, it goes back, it's Carnegie Mellon funded, I think, uh, and it goes back years. But they have an API and they also let you just download their entire corpus of relationships of concepts. And so it's just a, it is somewhat manual, like where they'll have actual like grad students just sitting down there going like, you know, okay, a tomato is found in a salad. Right, and then they're just they're just adding to the to the mix, but a lot of it is also scraped. So they'll um, they'll scrape the web for grammatical constructs, and then like try to infer things. And basically, once something tips over a certain threshold, then they consider it like common knowledge enough to include in ConceptNet. And so, yeah, I just downloaded the ConceptNet corpus. It has a um, uh, it has a, a relationship type, which is uh, something like is found in or is contained within. Something like that. Uh, and so I just filtered out. I just said, you know, took the data set, said only plucked out the ones that are about things inside other things. Uh, and then I have a whole bunch of lists of words that are like giraffe is in Africa, you know, uh, uh, congressman is in Washington, D.C., that sort of thing. 
and there's like and there's ten thousand and you're just doing one an hour or something yeah. like that. Yeah, there's there's uh there's thirty thousand. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. And I'm not and I'm I'm not exhausting it though. I'm not like um just going one by one through the whole thing. So it'll it'll repeat and stuff too. Oh okay. um but you know, there's thirty thousand of them, so it doesn't repeat very often. Do you think that's like your approach? I s like you try and find a pattern in something and yeah. then try and figure out how would you automate it yeah that's and, that's yeah. correct i mean i mean when i was in qa i was actually doing qa automation so like my entire purpose was to watch people doing things in our game and then figure out how to make an algorithm of it and then implement that algorithm and you're doing it for jokes yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's so rad what are some other uh, recent ones that, you know um, they seem like they're all I did, uh yeah i did one that was uh it's not on Twitter because I stopped making bots on Twitter, but um, uh, there's one that I have on Mastodon called Queer Eye Bot, and oh, right. that one is like there's the Twitter joke of like five guys except right Queer Eye, but it's five you know moms telling you that everything's going to be okay, right? So that's another um, like text, and that's another thing. I just pulled it from ConceptNet as well. Uh, ConceptNet has an is capable of relation, <laughs> and so like you know. Bird is capable of flying, so I just transform that into Queer Eye, but it's five birds flying. I love that you have all these uh, API connections in your mind. You're yeah, like, I can use that as a bridge. This could be totally automated, right? In this <laughs> joke, in this joke, I mean, I deconstruct jokes when I see, right. especially. I mean, that's all everyone does when they're playing on Twitter. Is like, yeah, oh, that's very funny. That's funny in the moment. I'll make my own, right? I can make, a but twist then you're on like, it. I'll make thirty thousand, <laughs> right? <laughs> I love that, you're like you know, the API hit points that are like is inside or yeah. is related to. Yeah, it it does help that I just have like a like a memory full of tons and tons of different. APIs and data like sources. I didn't know this thing existed. This yeah. Concept net. Right. This yeah. Amazing. Yeah. And then I run like Corpora, which is kind of like a place for people to put lists of stuff. And so I often end up going to my own project because it's, even though it's my project, it has like 600 contributions from 300 contributors. So like wow. I don't really know what's in there. You know, I mean, I approve everything that goes in there, but it's been years. So sometimes I just go back through and I go, oh, yeah. Wow. There's a list of like, pro wrestlers in here like i should probably like i could do something with that so <laughs> is that the um thing you have that does like the word filtering stuff uh word filter is a different project oh, okay. and so that one's just uh it just comes with a a word list that i have that blacklists just certain words that i don't ever want my bots to say excuse me that other bot authors seem to forget from major corporations <laughs> right exactly yeah and so um and you know and it's mutable so you can you can change it, like if you can add new words or remove words if you don't think the list is appropriate. But, um, uh, but yeah. So, uh, so, so no. that's just mostly I made it for my own convenience. So, like all my bots, I generate from a template that I have. Um, so whenever I start a bot, it's just like grunt init Twitter bot, and then it creates the a blank bot template. But then the word filter is already built in there and so forth, and the Twitter APIs or the Mastodon APIs are already built in there. So I don't have to work on the plumbing. I can just work on the uh, the the fun part. Can you think of any recent um, <clears throat> bot-generated jokes that were on the borderline of offensive that maybe, like, recently? Is it still, like, oh, get man. around your word filter? Or oh, the I mean... The wrong thing inside the wrong thing, you're like, oh, that's not Yeah, funny. I mean, I mean, you can't, you can't filter for everything, right. um, but usually i mean when people bring it up i will delete a thing but mostly i have problems with my image bots where i'll pull like an or, or i'll be pulling images i try to pull from like 
the first five, whenever I, usually when I pull random images, it's because I'm searching for something on Google Images and then pulling an image from there. Usually if I keep safe search on and I only pull the first five results, it's fine. Mm -hmm. But every now and then, it's not. What is a search where it's not? That's... Like, well, like surgery, oh, for example, yeah, right? Nice. And then you just get this gory mess, yeah. right? Like, uh, and so sometimes I do have to go in. You're not going to be good. Yeah, yeah. So I have to. So I sometimes I have to go in there and you know. Did you do a glitch logo of surgery? <laughs> of surgery. If I could find an SVG of surgery, then I would do it. <laughs> right. it needs to be vector. <laughs> so uh, everything's on Mastodon now because of Twitter's lame API stuff. Yeah. 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 Just their. Uh, you know, is it invalidating your stuff? Is it breaking? Um, no, so far okay. no. I mean, they even actually like reached out to me and they were like, "Oh, we want to work with you to like make it so your bots can stay on Twitter." And I was like, "Yeah, but are you going to do that for everyone? Because if you're not, I'm not interested." So, um, so you know, I'm just on Mastodon now. So far, I don't think anything has really broken. But like, you know, occasionally they do sweeps and they'll accidentally suspend a bot or something. And before, all I had to do was say, "Hey, I'm following your Twitter rules." please unsuspend me but now i would actually have to make like they literally have something in their rules about needing to make a business case for the bot <laughs> what and it's like yeah i understand if it's like oh i'm running a you know a hot startup where we have a bot based chat interface or something yeah. like sure that's cut and dry but like none of my bots have business cases right. so it's uh yeah not but good. like twitter is built on like art and art bots and yeah well, i think it was i think it was uh an overcorrection after all the criticism around um, like Russian yeah. Twitter bots like affecting the election and that sort of thing. They're overcorrecting um, to make, uh, probably to make their shareholders feel better. Probably. <laughs> so it's Wait, are they public? Yeah. Okay, yeah, cool. Just want to make sure. That's... <laughs> um, uh, on, so uh, Mastodon, you've been playing with that a lot lately. Yes. How is the, uh, how are the creators or communities dealing with i mean you have some pretty wild ideas that sound great to me <laughs> uh like can you is there any 30 second summary like you're imagining mastodon's sort of like twitter but federated but that's not even important <laughs> but you're right. thinking of well i mean the follower lists rss feeds how does that work right yeah i mean the thing about the thing about mastodon it's it's good great for what it is but it's also they're taking something that already exists twitter and then just cloning it in an open source and decentralized way mm -hmm. which like obviously has benefits i love that i can like submit a pull request to mastodon and sometimes it's accepted and i can improve the software for everyone i can't do that with twitter without becoming an employee uh and so um so that's that part's great but also it shows a lack of imagination it's just like well we're basically just cloning this other thing on top of web standards um Honestly, what I want to do is like, you know, well, what if we like resurrected Google Reader, right? <laughs> like, that's my big dream right now, actually. Dream. Yeah, but like, but it's like, a beautiful dream. right, but like for real, yeah. right? So, um, like, right, I, like I built, a, I have a prototype working right now of a service where you can plug any RSS feed into it and it just turns it into a lightweight activity pub actor that can be followed on Mastodon or any other activity pub compliant. So Social it's just network. pulling the RSS and making it a message, I guess. Um, yeah, it pulls it. Well, it does. It does a few things. It's um, so it's a server. It when you drop when you say convert this RSS feed, what it does is it um, uh, it 
creates an act, an actor. So that's like basically the profile data for the social network. And then um, it pulls in the RSS feed, keeps it in the database, takes the diff every, you know, so often so that it can find new posts. Mm-hmm. And then when there is a new post, oh yeah, and then it, it listens for, it has an inbox. This is how everything on Mastodon works. Uh, it has an inbox. And uh, so if you, Matt Howie, go to, um, to follow it on Mastodon, then you're sending a post request to my server. My server ingests that and then uh, and then adds you to a list of people who need to be notified when that account makes a new post. So it's a little bit like the old PubSub uh, thing that was supposed to be world-changing back in 2007 or whatever. And um, uh, But yeah, it's not... Um, the the thing is, is it's not like RSS where it's like a passive polling type thing. It's active. It has to send a message to your inbox in order for oh, you so to it's even like a DM. Yes, uh, and yeah. Say, so DM every Darius yeah every post yeah when you're there. when you're looking at your timeline, oh. every single thing that appears in there is an incoming HTTP, HTTP message to your inbox. So it's basically like you're getting you know, five emails a minute, but they're all very short mm-hmm. and they appear in this particular so, user interface. Yes, when I DM you, it shows up my timeline, which is yeah. a little weird. Yeah, and that's why, uh, that's that's one of the reasons why privacy and stuff works that way on Mastodon mm-hmm. because of the underlying tech of ActivityPub. Hmm. Yeah. But, but anyway, uh, so the idea is convert any RSS feed you want into um, an ActivityPub actor. And so right now I'm actually following a bunch of these bots on this test server that I have and um, and I'm getting largely formatted um, uh, blog posts, like full blog posts in my Mastodon feed, which is not great. I don't, what I want to do next is change the Mastodon client a little bit so that I can um, just have all of those in like one column and not yeah. have them appear in my main timeline. So it's like in my one column is where I follow all my friends who microblog. And then in the other column is where I have podcasts and then in the other column is where i have blogs or break it down however but that would be beautiful right so that's what i mean by and then you can boost these things uh and you can and you can include them in reply threads and stuff so and they won't talk back because at least on my server they're not in your they're not interactive they're basically read only but um but that's what i mean by google reader type social features is like oh well okay now we have these like things floating around um, that are articles, and we can treat them as first-class actors and talk about them. And do you need a very large server to support the public? Definitely not. Uh, I mean, it's it's. Or do you think it should be a part of Mastodon's core? I mean, ideally, it could be part of Mastodon's core. I mean, I mean, ideally, they could just make it so that. I mean, you could make a Mastodon client that is also an RSS reader, mm-hmm. and then you wouldn't need this bridge. But Mastodon, I mean, understandably, Mastodon's here for the social network stuff. They don't want to, like, write a, a polling RSS caching right. thing and all that. Um, no, but the way that the way that mine works, um, I, I, I engineered it to be extremely um, lightweight. Like, it's really, really, really light. I mean, we'll see how it scales. Do have to be on your instance to, try no. to use it? Okay. No, it's just a website that you go to. It's not even on my instance. It's a website that you go to. It, it's just uh, a database. Yeah, and, and that yeah, and then you just fill in a little web form, and then it creates the actor, and it says, "Here, follow this actor," right. and then you do, and then you're following it. But then you got to make client changes to get the columns and stuff. Yeah, 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 to make it really useful for people. So right now, it's a it's a proof of concept. 
Uh, but I'm actually, I definitely am going to work on those client changes. That's going to be so rad. So, and uh, this is this is one of the cool things about it being open sourced, right? Like I can change the default Mastodon client, and even if they don't accept it upstream in like the main code base, I can still maintain it for me and whoever else wants it. That's right. So, so uh, you're about to start at the Mozilla Foundation. Yeah, that's right. I'm as a, a fellow. Yes, as a fellow, I am a Mozilla Ford Fellowship. I, I'm a Mozilla Open Web Fellow, mm. and it's funded through the Ford Foundation. And um, I am working with Code for Science and Society, who are here in Portland. They uh, they are the stewards of the DAT DAT protocol, which is like a sort of BitTorrent like alternative to HTTP and that sort of thing. Um, if you've heard of Beaker Browser, it's this peer-to-peer -peer web browser where it works like a normal web browser, but you can also visit a dat colon slash slash site. Um, and uh, a dat site is basically just like you're pointing it to a torrent seed. And then as long as there are people seeding that site, then you get access to it. And kind of the cool thing is the more people are looking at a site, the more seeds there are. So it sort of scales in bandwidth. Now, of course, you'll have problems with like databases on the back end for applications and stuff but in terms of serving static content it's pretty great and it was it was built to serve static content um like originally it was made for scientists to share extremely large data sets like petabyte type mm -hmm. data sets yeah i was like wow what is that design <laughs> what is that optimized for yeah huh. uh but now but now what you can do in beaker which is the only web browser that supports dat right now is you can go to file new web page and then type in your web page, uh, and then press publish. And then, as long as your laptop is open, other people can see that. It's like you don't need. It's truly serverless because it's peer to peer. Hmm. Um, and there are services where you can where you can be like, oh, you know, host a, you know, a, a sort of keep alive feed for my site so that when I close my laptop, it might be slow, but when I'm close my laptop, you know, at least there's one seed out there so people could still see it. Are you going to uh, work in that space at Mozilla or just do the things yeah, you do? Yeah, so uh, I'm working for Mozilla, but I'm embedded with the DAT team. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to be doing DAT-related stuff. I mean, I will also just generally be doing what I'm doing, but uh, but yeah. So it's a pretty broad um, uh, uh, remit that you get as a fellow. So uh, well, I um, invited you to talk about anime, though. <laughs> I did, yeah, yeah. Yes. Hey. So you've got an anime podcast. Right? Yes, yeah. What is it called again? It's called JoJo's Bizarre Explainer. And was <laughs> what is the show you you all watch? Uh, it's called JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Is it uh, okay? Tell me about that. Yeah. So it's it. um, it's a it's a very popular anime in Japan. Not so much in the West, but it's um, uh, but it's getting more popular now that it's. I guess I should backtrack a little bit. Uh, it's been a, a manga, a Japanese comic, for 30 years now. So it's been running continuously since 1988 or 1987. So this is like the Peanuts. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah, except it's got um, hunky vampires with weird powers and body horror and like and like silly jokes and also <laughs> it's a weird – it's called bizarre for a reason. It is truly bizarre. Um is it adult, I guess, for adults? Uh, no, it was actually... It, so to give you an example, it was run... When it debuted, it essentially debuted alongside Dragon Ball Z. So uh, in the same magazine. So uh, it was 
from the start it was it was shown in it was for young boys mm-hmm. um but uh, uh and then kind of over time as his audience grew up he did make it more adult but it's still not like you know it's gone from like pg to pg 13 you know it's not it hasn't really like it's not like it's super um adult in and like any kind of a censorship sense how long ago did it cross over into anime only like four years ago i mean there have been there have been short-term adaptations before like you know they'll do a few episodes here and there of a particular popular story arc but it was really only in 2012 that they started to make an anime version that was like we are going to start at issue one of this 30-year running manga and just go so um so yeah (laughs) jeez so they're working through the old 80s yeah 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 and it's and it's really strange because when you watch the first season of the of the anime it's only nine episodes long for that first story arc uh and it's because it was a short his shortest story arc ever and um and also it's the worst it's really pretty bad because it's you know there's not there's not really any way you can improve like you know i don't know he just he just has these weird ideas like there's a scene where jack the ripper gets turned into a vampire and then he hides inside a horse to uh to to ambush the heroes and so there's a scene <laughs> where a bunch horse. of knives come out of a horse and then jack the ripper also comes out of the horse and then attacks the heroes that's like a standard <laughs> JoJo's situation. How many episodes are they up to at this point? Um, they've done four seasons, so probably that's a total of like about 100 episodes. Um, and that covers the manga as it ran from 1988 through 1994, I want to say. And then do you guys watch one and then do an episode? Yeah, we watch one and do an episode. Um, we We haven't caught up to the anime yet because we only started the podcast about a year and a half ago uh so and we started from the beginning and we did it weekly so um right now we are just about to start season four of the anime but season five is airing on the day that we start season four (laughs) so uh so that's it's a nice nice little timing uh but um but yeah you don't have to worry about spoilers right (laughs) (laughs) uh so yeah so, uh, uh, but yeah, it's a, it's a companion podcast. So mm-hmm. we go ep- episode by episode, and and each one that we do corresponds to one episode of the anime, or sometimes two if we think we can compress them. Is it hard to find? Where do you find this? Oh no, it's pretty easy to find. And in um, English? Yeah, it's in it's in or English. Dubbed. Yeah, it is both it is available in English, both subbed and dubbed. Uh, there are DVDs in English of the first two seasons, with a third one coming out in English as well. Um, there are, or Blu-rays, I guess now, um, there is, uh, on, I think on Hulu, actually, you can watch the first two seasons for free, um, or whatever Hulu considers free. Uh, and then, um, uh, actually, um, Adult Swim has been dubbing them. So there's also a dub of the show that's been airing on Adult Swim, and you need a cable subscription to watch it. So I haven't watched it yet, but um, uh, but yeah. Uh, so there's so it's it's relatively oh, and then and then we primarily watch it on Crunchyroll, which is like Netflix for manga or for for anime. Netflix for anime. So um, is that like paid or is it yeah, like it's paid. Pirate? Yeah, it's no, it's paid. It's oh, like yeah, you know, it's like uh, ten bucks a month or something, oh, okay. or maybe maybe fifteen. It's about Netflix prices, and uh, and it's cool because they actually um, like as the shows air 
in Japan, like the new shows, uh, you get them on a 24-hour delay from their premiere uh, in the States, which is pretty great. It's, yeah, uh, and it's bad. actually it's an excellent service. Like I, I really like Crunchyroll, actually. Um, so there's a lot of great stuff on there. Um, so because they, they kind of have everything like it's unlike netflix where it's like you'll often find like oh well yeah of course that movie's not on netflix it's on amazon or whatever crunchyroll in the united states has kind of the license for everything like oh, there's because nobody wants that license. yeah there's no there's it's really rare to look up an anime that has an official english translation uh and not find it on crunchyroll how many do you follow uh anime shows um anime? like you know actively i follow like four uh, and most of them are on break right now, but uh, but yeah. What was the bike one that you? Yoamushi Pedal. Yeah, that <laughs> was my if... first love. That Where was my did... first anime love. Where did I see it? Or was it on Netflix or Hulu back then? Yeah, it is. It's also on Hulu, I think okay. maybe. Uh, but yeah, yeah, that one's about a team of of high a high school road racing team, uh, and uh, so cyclists, and they are. Uh, it's it's awesome. It's like very. Courtney was watching it with one of his friends in our living room and I like walked by and it was one of the early episodes and I heard overheard them talking about like gear ratios or something and I was like what's this <laughs> tell me more and so I got into it for the the bike facts mm. um and I learned a lot because I didn't I you know I ride a bike a lot but I don't um road race I don't understand it as a sport or I didn't until I watched this anime and now I can like watch the Tour de France and like understand what i'm seeing and enjoy it uh because i've learned through this anime what the rules are and like what makes it an interesting sport versus... yeah when you turned me on to it i was watching it like right before bed so i kept falling asleep to <laughs> yeah but i like caught most of the first few episodes and i was like man when they're talking about gear ratios that was spot on that was right. like what you would talk about before you go in a race like how hilly is it do you want to run a 28 in the rear or like 25 mm -hmm. do you feel strong today yeah like, i was like oh shit like, yeah this is real yeah the 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 author of the this is another case of a manga that was turned into an anime and the author of the manga is like a notorious like bike nut Oh, so, awesome. Yeah. That's rad. Yeah. And what was that? Yoshi? Uh, Yoamushi Pedal. Yoamushi it translates pedal. to weakling pedal. <laughs> <laughs> uh, is, there a, is there a big difference on subbing and dubbing? Like, like how much drift is there? Um, yeah, there's a fair amount of drift because uh, I actually talked to, I was on the podcast of the people who are doing the JoJo's dub right now. Mm -hmm. Um, and I talked to them about this, and they said that they actually they referred they used a technical term called mouth flapping, uh, which is just the lips moving. And they were like, "Yeah, we use the official duh, uh, subs as a guideline, but sometimes the words that they choose don't line up with the movement of the mouth, and uh. we have to make sure that the voice actors roughly line up with the lip movements. Otherwise, it looks weird. Even in a cartoon, it can right. look weird, especially if there's like." You want it to be timed like the same amount. Uh, at least you want, yeah, you don't want them like talking when their mouth isn't moving, right? So, so they have to pay attention to that. So they use those as a guideline, and sometimes they'll use the official English uh, comic manga translations as a guideline too. But they often take liberties for um, for synchronization purposes. Wow! So it's like two layers. There's like yeah, the Japanese to English, and then there's english to just better fitting english yes because i've heard like uh like totoro you know classic miyazaki mm -hmm. film uh if you watch it i guess in japanese with 
English subtitles, there's a whole bunch more jokes. Yes. Like visual jokes that only make sense in Japan mm-hmm. and like but they're explained in the subtitles, but they're not. You know, it's, right. It's yeah. Yeah. Pretty... That's the that's the thing with subtitles, you can like put a parenthetical that yeah. says like Oh, and this is funny because this means you <laughs> yeah. know bear in or, Japanese, or this rhymes with sun. Right, like it's really funny. Yeah, you know, so trust you, us. yeah, so you can kind of do footnotes on yeah. there, but you can't really get away with that in yeah. a dub. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, uh, how many episodes in are you on the podcast? Um, we've done sixty episodes of the podcast, wow. maybe sixty-five, uh, and we some of those are compressed, so those correlate to about seventy episodes of the show. Um, You'll yeah. eventually match up to live. Uh, yeah, I mean, we have when season four season four starts when season five starts. So I think we should, and we go weekly. So I'm assuming that we'll wrap season four on the podcast when season five is wrapped airing, mm-hmm. uh, and then we'll start right in on season five, and then we'll be caught up, and then we'll have to put the show on hiatus until <laughs> season six, six months, yeah, yeah, or a year. It was a year and a half actually. We were very uh, the fans were very. Uh, upset that nothing had been announced officially until it wasn't announced officially it's coming it's starting on october 5th and the but the new season wasn't officially confirmed until like july 5th or something Mm -hmm. so uh uh and it had been a year and a half since the last season ended so a lot of people were like oh no are they going to you know make a new one uh and uh so we were very happy to be like a year plus work to make animated <laughs> right but but like to even just announce it right right so they didn't i i mean it, it's smart you know they yeah. don't want to announce it unless they have a bunch of it already ready to go probably right, right. so like come back next year is yeah. not a fun bit of news to get right <laughs> so uh, uh how would someone get started with anime what do you think like are some good entry points oh man um i really so i actually shy away from showing people like stuff like jojo's uh because that's like it's to really one level yeah it's it's <laughs> i mean it's it's really weird and there's like not a lot of like cultural references you can get i really like um the slice of life anime so there's a lot of like fun romance stuff there's one called my love story which is about like two middle schoolers who have like an awkward relationship with each other and that's just like delightful and universal and uh and pretty easy to to get into um i also do strongly recommend i mean there are a lot of animes that are um based on niche interests like road racing Mm -hmm. uh and so if you find one that matches with your niche interest that's obviously a great choice that was my entry point was i liked cycling and so the cycling anime brought me in that was the first i never watched anime as a kid it wasn't something that i grew up with uh but cycling pulled me in and then i found other things that i liked Um, can you search crunchyroll for like whatever car racing karate yeah yeah i think so yeah because because a lot of the like there's a a lot of the animes have it in their title Mm -hmm. or in the description so it'll pull it up there's like kuroko's basketball and there's like two different baseball ones because japanese people love baseball (laughs) that's right and uh uh so there's like there's a whole subgenre of sports anime Mm. um and then uh and it's you know it's kind of like sports movies here in the states right like it's got it's usually got that like underdog team yeah, you know, yeah. trying to make Scrappy. it yeah <laughs> um uh and then uh uh but then there's also like there's so much weird stuff out there that's kind of amazing like there's one uh there's one anime that's like just it's just these short 5 minute long episodes and there's like a few dozen of them but it's just it all the characters are are anthropomorphized types of rice 
no, of types of grain, I want to say. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's rice. I forget. But it's like, yeah, I'm the white rice boy and I'm the the French baguette boy. <laughs> and, you know, and it's like, and I, I don't know, I could imagine if you were like a baker or something, yeah, it yeah. would be kind of like really sort of at least intellectually interesting to to uh, to look at. But um, But yeah, so it's like when people think of anime, they tend to think of like, you know, dudes with cosmic powers like you know you know fighting dragons or something and uh and yes there's plenty of that but there's also uh what's great about it is there's tons of different uh genres oh actually one of my favorite animes ever is called shirobako and it's about a group of of uh girls who were friends in college and then they graduate and then they all go into the anime industry together (laughs) Wow. And so it's an anime about a team of people making an anime. <laughs> and it's it's really good. And, and in fact, I recommend it to anyone who likes project management in general <laughs> or has to do it for their job because like it's an anime about project management is what it actually is. That's amazing. Yeah. Uh I mean, I guess it probably follows like manga, which is like there's tens right. of thousands of titles. Yeah. You can find one exactly about, you know, if you're a boring salary man who mm-hmm. just goes to work, like there's titles for that. I'm sure there's anime yep. for that. Yeah. So, find something you like. Crunchyroll is rad. Is a lot of this stuff on Hulu and Netflix? Yeah, a lot of it is on Hulu or, or, Hulu or Netflix. Yeah, yeah. Stuff. Yeah, and if you're I mean, even some of the less popular stuff is is on there too. I'm often surprised at what I find on uh on the sort of more common streaming services. Uh, and then, um, uh, and uh, Amazon Video has it too, and that kind of stuff. But basically, you can find this stuff on on all sorts of services. But it's hit or miss unless you're on Crunchyroll, and then they probably have it. Sweet. Thanks for rejoining me for for another question. Um, like since we recorded, I can't get this idea out of my head that like um, we talked about like pretty gentle anime subject matter and shows and stuff. Like you know, one was surrealist and one was like about a uh, you know niche sport and i've thought about how like manga and anime sort of teach me about another country and culture and in general kind of open my mind to it yeah but i can't i can't uh, contrast that with like anytime someone said something terrible to me on twitter they had an anime avatar right i keep thinking about like 4chan is kind of spun off from yeah, anime it was like originally an anime forum, basically. Right. Like, I guess 2chan was the Japanese version, and they made 4chan in English, but then it yeah. also had terrible politics, and then 8chan right. is even worse politics, and it's also anime. Um, how does how does anime feel like it opens the world to me and teaches me stuff, but some <laughs> terrible people also love it? Like, how does that how does that work? Yeah, I mean, I guess part of it is just that like a lot of anime is marketed to and made for teenage boys and teenage boys suck. Mm-hmm. Uh, so especially like a bunch of teenage boys on the internet together will suck. Um, so there is, there is some of that. There's, there's also anime that is like explicitly like, I mean, because it's, it's like a whole, it's a whole genre. Right. And you can, mm-hmm. you know, you can have books that have that touch on that are like really shitty and, bad and books that are really great and open your mind to the world and all that so like yeah um, so there's a whole bunch of of anime that is like you know uh like basically uh like there's so there's a whole subgenre of anime that's basically like um uh pro-fascism more or less really <laughs> yeah um there's and you know it doesn't it doesn't advertise itself that way but it's to me it's like pro-fascism 
in kind of the same way that Fox News is pro-fascism in that mm-hmm. it's all plausible deniability. Um, and uh, but like so there's so for example, there's this whole trend uh, of what's known as the moification of the military in Japan, which is basically like ever since World War II, Japan has not had a real they have a defense force, but not a real army or military. But mm-hmm. that's been changing over the court over time. Uh, as they get more and more of what we would recognize as like an actual military presence. And um, just like happens here in the United States where we have like video games and TV and stuff that sort of glorifies the military, the Japanese do that too. Uh, But for them, a lot of it is stuff like, um, uh, like you'll have anime series where cute idol girls all represent slash are different kinds of military equipment like tanks or guns or battleships um so like you might have your your cute i don't know any of these characters off the top of my head because i don't watch or read any of this stuff but like you know you can have cute panzer chan and she's a <laughs> she's a, a a world war ii tank a german tank you know there's like a whole series called girls und panzer uh <laughs> yeah Um, And so it's like, and so it's for that like obsessive like person who, who loves the, who wants like cute anime shit, but also wants to like obsess over the aesthetics of war and fascism. Um, Is there, is there a name for this like sort of fascism friendly anime? um, I don't know off the top of my head that the moification of the military is like one phrase that I do know. And that's really Mm -hmm. about like putting cute mascots on military stuff to kind of like promote it you know um so uh, which which you know we do in our own way in the united states with games like you, yeah or yeah or like if you remember like america's army from the 2000s which was like a video game specifically made for oh. teenagers for, by the yeah. recruiting department of the american military right so yeah. yeah um plus you have all those like rules that the military has where like in the U.S., where like if you want a you know a Black Hawk helicopter in your movie, they will lend you one, but you have to pass content review where you don't mm-hmm. criticize the military in a way that they don't like. Um, That's right. That like uh, memo leaked a couple months ago about like all the U.S. military investment in Hollywood, and it was like 150 movies in the last 20 years. Yeah. It was, that yeah, was wild. and they do and they do the same thing for video games more or less as well. Uh, although it's wow. less, there's less of a um, uh, an official channel for it in, in in the games industry, but it's still there, and um, and so you know I think it's just it's happening in Japan like it happens here. It's just happening in a Japanese type of way where they have like you know they have like cute idols for like you know large public works structures and towns and all sorts of things. So of course it would just make sense that they would also have cute idols for like their battleships. Yeah. Um, and or battleships in general, I guess. I don't know if Japan has any battleships because I'm not that kind of a nerd. But <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, but so there's like because there's something for everyone, there's also like something for jerks, terrible, terrible people. <laughs> um, and uh, and I think there's also just a lot of um, uh, yeah, there's a there's a there's a yeah, I wish I knew the actual answer to the question about like why so many like terrible people online have anime avatars but uh, but it, it tends to be like the sort of hyper cute anime aesthetic and it mm-hmm. does tend to often be from like you're not 
like I don't think I've ever seen like a random terrible internet person use like a JoJo's avatar mm-hmm. because that's not the kind of anime that they are usually watching. Um, or I don't even know if they only ironically consume this or or say that they're ironically consuming it and then use it as a cover for who knows i don't know like i guess it's like sailor moony right so it's yeah. kind of like objectifying women yeah, so it gets into like strange porn yeah like, yeah, yeah. so there's of. some of that or it's like um you know using or they'll use um shoujo which is like the girls version of shonen uh so it's mm-hmm. like girls manga and anime instead of boys uh, and I feel like some of that's just like an ironic cover, you know, like you might use, I don't know, in like an American context, you might put like, I don't know, like Shirley Temple or something as your avatar. If you want to like go in and like hardcore, like, you know, <laughs> go in on some, you know, topic or another. Right. Like it's just yeah. like a mockery type thing as well. But also some of it's that they really are into that sort of thing, too. So it's it's this multifaceted thing. I wish I had like a clear answer for it. Uh, I think. I mean, I think about like, uh, you know, um, so I think I think it's just that there's so much anime and manga out there that people can latch on to whatever they want. And also, I think for uh, I think that for Americans, um, because there's that cultural divide, people can kind of project what they want on oh, yeah. on the media as well in a way that like you can't when it's your own kind of home territory of understanding essentially um but yeah i i don't have a i don't have a super great answer for it i think my 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 closest thing to an answer is like well yeah you know uh it is something that teen boys like and teen boys are usually pretty bad and in, in, in numbers in large numbers so <laughs> yeah I, I secretly wondered if there's just so many there's you know hundreds of thousands of different subject matter possibilities that Whatever angry people alone in a room can find an yeah. outlet or something that speaks I mean, to them. I mean, like for example, I spend a lot of time on the 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 subreddit for JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. I'm <laughs> not I'm not on Reddit at all, but I specifically have an account and go to Reddit to specifically engage with this subreddit because I find it delightful and everybody's very polite and like huh. uh, and um, and very it's just a, it's just a really lovely little place. Um, and and so like. You know, yeah, hashtag not all anime, I guess. Um, <laughs> but uh, but it's, uh, uh, yeah, so, you know, it is this large multifaceted thing and uh, and you can find, uh, so I do think it's some of it's just like, well, which anime fans are you talking about, right? Yeah, I guess. I, I, like I, think, to get into I think it's become a meme with like some yeah. subset of like the, the alt-right or, you know, yeah. 4chan trolls and that kind of thing. It's just like a thing that you do, just like putting Pepe on your mm. avatar became like a, a signal of a certain kind of thing um so it's you know whether or yeah. not it makes sense it's become a signifier for a certain kind of person and behavior yeah it's probably like an american flag pin or something yeah. it's like i am good at internet and i'm also super right wing and i can prove that to my pals here with this anime i guess i don't like to get into the mind of a racist but like what, don't they hate other cultures like it's so it's so strange yeah, that I, I mean i don't i don't i mean that's so well that's the weird. thing about I mean, racism is always incoherent that's why every mm-hmm. single racist can say i have a black friend <laughs> oh okay um uh i just saw that uh yuri's yuri's on ice oh yuri on coming. ice yeah 
Yeah, it's coming to like like stadium theaters around the yeah, country. Yeah, on a, October 13th, there's... Uh, uh, I know because we bought tickets this morning. Uh, so and I. Uh, uh, yeah, on October 13th, Yuri on Ice is airing on... Uh, they're doing, you know, how sometimes movie theaters will do a thing where they'll like air a baseball game or an opera or something like that. Well, they're doing a, a full... Yuri on Ice is, uh, is a sports slash romance anime about ice skaters, about male ice skaters. And... Um, uh, and it's it's really great. It's actually one of the best like just TV shows I've ever seen. Period. You know, anime or not, uh, it's just a really well told romance uh, with in a sports context, and uh, and it was a huge hit. Like it was, people were expecting it to be popular, but it was like an enormous hit beyond what anyone possibly could have imagined, both in Japan and abroad. Uh, and there's a lot of like professional figure skaters who like who who religiously watch it and at the last winter olympics um or at the last basically wow. at professional events now you see professional ice skaters with their like yuri on ice swag or they'll like do <laughs> a pose from yuri on ice and this isn't just japanese skaters yeah. this is like worldwide phenomenon uh but anyway yeah it's a uh, simulcasting on october 13th uh or not simulcasting but it's basically showing on october 13th in theaters across the country and uh, it's like I think it's most AMC theaters are showing it, um, so you can buy special tickets for the one time. Event. Will it be like three new episodes that have never been seen? Uh, no, it's actually just like... a it's just a it's just a, a a marathon of all the episodes that have aired. Uh, there's only twelve episodes, and they're like twenty two minutes long. So it's it's in theory like a it's like a six hour thing. So it's like going to a Lord of the Rings. Not even the, oh, wow. not even the director's cuts, you know, just seeing the <laughs> seeing the theatrical releases of maybe you know two Lord of the Rings movies in a row. Oh, so these are shows you've seen already. Yeah. Is, like, how long ago did it come out? Uh, it's it about two out? years ago. It would be, I think oh, it would be okay. two years ago this uh, this like December. Oh wow, that's pretty recent. So, like in ten years, we're gonna have a whole new crop of ice skaters I think around so. the world I mean, that were children. I, yeah, I think so. I think there's gonna be a bunch of children's figure skaters who like got inspired by watching this thing because it's uh it's it's a cultural phenomenon it's kind of amazing i think i'm gonna try and go to it that looks rad. awesome yeah it's a yeah just just uh you know uh i can't imagine like i think watching it in a movie theater would be great because so many people will have already seen it. it'll probably be like rocky horror or something where people are just <laughs> yelling out their favorite lines oh, the, the outfits yeah oh there's gonna be cosplay yeah. for sure Oh my god! There's gonna be like sequins. It's gonna be yeah, rad. probably. I didn't even think of that part. Yeah. Oh wow! <laughs> It'd just be nice to concentrate, right? Like uh, when you watch something, you know, you got like notifications and yeah, stuff. Yeah, exactly. Just to be, yeah, to just fully yeah. soak it mm-hmm. in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think I'm gonna go for cool. it. All right, cool. Thanks. Thanks for a a, a little bit of follow up. And uh... <laughs> okay, thanks a bunch. <laughs> show is Samaritan by the Long Winters on the album Putting the Days to Bed, and that's courtesy of Barsuk Records and John Roderick. This show is sponsored by Fireside.fm, uh, the best and easiest podcast host I've ever used. If you host a podcast, definitely check it out at Fireside.fm. Thanks.